Hello, and welcome to the Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back-issue spotlight, I am joined by Sam, and we're going to be discussing the two-issue Hulk Future Imperfect miniseries published in December 1992 and January 1993. Sam, how you doing tonight? I'm wonderful, John. How are you? I am doing well. Great. Now, this is Peter David on the Hulk. Hard to go wrong there. We've got art by George Perez. Impossible to go wrong there, in my opinion. Great creative team here. Yeah. No, absolutely. The one thing this had going against it when it first came out was the price. Comics were what? Dollar twenty-five, dollar fifty-ish back then, and this was a five ninety-five prestige format book. Yes, of course, was it five ninety-five or four ninety. I thought it was five ninety-five. It might have been five ninety-nine. I'd have to go double check. It was even at four ninety-five, which I don't think it was. It doesn't make it that much cheaper compared to. I mean, that's almost well the cost of another comic back then, I guess. Uh, but this was back when prestige format things were done sparingly. They were still a big deal. We'd had, uh, obviously, The Dark Knight, uh, Longbow Hunters over at DC for both of those. I'm trying to think how many prestige format books like this Marvel had even done at this point, and I, I don't remember. There were not a ton. Yeah, that was one of the things I didn't... Reading it digitally, they don't have the price on it or anything. I'm trying to look it up real quick, but not finding it quickly, so... Let me see if I can find it on... I've been using the Grand Comic Database these days when I've got questions like this, and they had the price at uh, five ninety-five. So yeah, that would have been a pretty expensive book at the time. Yeah, I mean, even today it'd be a little expensive, but not that bad. Actually, today it'd almost be par for the course, which is a shame. But it's it's thirty years later. Yep. So. Wow, and they are not particularly cheap even now. Yeah, it's. Well, and I mean, this is a, what, 48-page or thereabout comic for each of these two issues? Digitally, they are 48 pages. Now, that includes the cover on both of them, but double-page spreads get pushed into one, so. Yeah. I, I wish they would have just a, a, you know, here's the number of story pages, just for reference and such. So it's two and a half times thereabouts what a, a comic length was at the time, give or take. Yep. yep. But four or five times the cover price. But the advantage of doing it with the longer page count is they can get deeper into the story and only have to have, you know, in this case, one kind of dramatic moment to, to pause the story on for the issue break. And, and they picked a good one. So I enjoyed this back in the day. I enjoyed it now. I had forgotten a ton of the details of the story. I mean, I knew it was Hulk of the time going up against a future, a potential future evil version of himself. Yeah, I'm not sure I read this before now. I may have, but I don't remember it at all. So let's assume this is the first time I'm reading it. For me, the most memorable part of this is when we get to the two-page splash of, of Rick Jones's Man Cave. Yes. And man, you, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, again, George drawing something like that uh, with all these Easter eggs and whatnot. Just incredible. And, I mean, the, the basic premise here is uh, about a hundred years 
hence things have gone to hell. The the humans have blown each other up with nuclear bombs and such. There are survivors. It's a post-apocalyptic kind of world. And oh, by the way, the Hulk is in charge of at least part of it, uh, having taken over and calling himself the Maestro. Although that takes a little bit to get revealed. And uh, as we come to find out, Rick Jones has had this great idea of well, if you've got to fight the Hulk, what better to use than a Hulk? So they manage to get a hold of Doctor Doom's time platform, and they pull him forward. And when we yep. first see the then-present-day Hulk in the future meeting Rick Jones and such, it's in his underground kind of lair, and there's remnants of various Iron Man armors, the Silver Surfer's surfboard, it's definitely seen better days, helmets of just about everybody iconic that would have had one, Cap's shield, Wolverine skeleton, you name it, it was here. Yeah. Um, and it was just Doom's mask, Thor's hammer. I mean, yeah, every piece of memorabilia you could imagine from the Marvel Universe is here. And Rick himself seems to have, uh, be hanging out in Dr. X's chair. It sure looks like uh, the one from the, the 90s cartoon. Yeah. Which I assume was going on at this point, because this was, again, late 92. Yeah. But, I mean, it, Rick's... Well, if this is 90 years forward, and Rick had to be... 18 or whatever when the Hulk started, and this is well past the Hulk's start, he's well over 100 at this point, so he's doing pretty well. Yeah, he's got to be 120-ish. That's kind of what I'm thinking, too. Yeah. The one part I found really subtle and just hilarious is if you go to that page where we've got the two-page spread, we've got Cap's shield, we've got Cap's cowl. Right above that, there are these two plants. They're <clears throat> in the negabands of Captain Marvel. Oh! I did not notice that. That is not one of the things I would have noticed. Very subtle, and I've got to imagine that was intentional, given that Rick wore those for quite some time. Yeah, he did. Because he would swap out with uh, with that cap. Well, and then the... Is it in this issue or later, where we get to the shelf of urns? We can see it here, but it really gets dealt uh, quite a bit later. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was in this one, and I could not tell why Rick had collected the, the cremains of so many people. I mean, a few of them made sense, Betty and whatnot, but a couple of them, like Jean Grey, it's like, why? Well, and I love the, uh, if you notice the urn with Jean Grey, it says Jean Grey, and then in parentheses again. Mm-hmm. I also love that the wasp is in a particularly small urn. The leader in a bigger urn, that sort yes. of a thing. The blobs in a giant urn. Yeah. I think the one next to, well, one of them in there, I think there's one for Peter David, I think another one for George, and I think the okay. one, I think those are the two next to the blob. Okay, I can see, oh, there's Peter, I can read Peter David, I see the P, it could be George, yeah. Yeah, well, you gotta have, gotta have good eyesight, I think, and... And it looks like B. Eden might be there, or I can't figure out who that might be, but it yeah. is. Yeah, so, again, tons of little Easter eggs and stuff. Some clearly by George, some quite possibly by the letterer. Uh, either way, kind of fun. Yeah. And seeing Rick Jones as an old man well past his prime is just kind of fun. And there were a couple of other things in here that were just nice little callbacks. You know, Doom's time platform that we really don't see much of these days. And then, I forget where they showed it to us. Oh, it's it was when we were the mind scanning of one of the other rebels and such, and they're seeing when Janice has gone back to go recruit the Hulk, and they've got to stop by Rick Jones of then, the then present day or whatever, to, <clears throat> to 
get his help. Mm-hmm. And they basically wind up handing him his ID uh, priority pass or ID card or whatever it was. For the Avengers, yeah. I remember when the Avengers had those and that was a big deal. I mean, they would use them <laughs> as communicators and all that kind of a thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, get his instant reaction is, no, it's fake. Mine's here. Yeah, and then he sees the the writing on the back, which they reveal a bit later and such. Yep. Uh, just a, a ton of fun things here. Yep. yep. Yeah, no, it, there is a ton of fun things, and I gotta admit, and it's done well. The vocabulary change is a little bit annoying. I would agree with that. I, you know, what is it, scanning versus seeing, you know, a few different... Uh, yeah, there's a few, and sliding versus knowing or yeah. telling, and yeah, there's... There's like one too many. You can get away with one or two, and then when you when you get to too many, it gets slightly distracting. Well, it's it's a writing crutch that a ton of of authors have used. Of language evolves over the years, so for a hundred years down the line, they've got to speak differently. Yeah, and that makes sense. That doesn't mean it's easy to read and, and fun to read necessarily. <laughs> exactly. I would almost like to see somebody do that with a couple of things that are almost anachronistic backwards. Hmm. That somehow is still, you know, taken for granted that, you know, if, like, uh, terminology with, like, uh, you know, telephones and stuff like that really goes back to, you know, hanging up the phone versus everyone's got a cell phone, you never hang it anywhere. Yeah. You know, those sorts of things. So, I was expecting when they were first testing the, uh, the time platform and they sent the guy, you know, 35 seconds into the future that it... I would have gone a full minute and had it somehow do a riff on Back to the Future, but that's just me. Yeah, clearly, yeah, not a Marvel thing, but, and hmm. I was going to say, part three had kind of just come out, right? It was, yeah, I don't know, spring of 90, and this was, you said 92, so yeah. Yeah, well, and the first one was 85, wasn't it? Yes, and then 89 and 90. Yeah. Now, once they've done the mind scan of uh, Fizzpiz or whatever his name was, uh, his, his mind is toast, he's of no use to the maestro, so the maestro exacts his revenge from when he'd been, the guy spit on him before. Spit on him, yep. And I'm like, okay, this, uh, the Hulk has is, is never been a, you know, a cuddly, gentle kind of a guy, but this, this maestro is a bit more violent and just mean than either the Hulk of the time, or even the maestro, I think, of the recent miniseries. I mean, he killed the, uh, Fizz Piz or what, uh, whatever the guy's name was, uh, because he wanted to, not because he had to or anything of the sort, you know? Fair fair enough. Yeah, and probably to your great benefit, it was done tastefully and not grossly. Yes, it was done off-panel, and we see, you know, the, the bloody remains of the chair or whatever he'd been in. But this, with many other artists, it could have been very, uh, very gory and needlessly so. Yes. But both of these creators know how to tell a story and how to plant the image without necessarily showing the image. Yeah. And I appreciate that. But, I mean, there were also a couple of things early on where when we're first getting introduced to the group of rebels, one of them gets killed off within, what, the first couple of pages. But I think some of that was just so we'd know this is a dangerous place. Yeah, and, well, arguably it's the maestro, it's kind of not. In that case, it was just the the his underlings or whatever doing it. Well, yeah, it was just it was whatever the local security was tracking down rebels or criminals or however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. People not in the favor of the maestro. How about that? That covers a pretty wide range. Fair enough. So it definitely seems like uh, as 
far as post-apocalyptic worlds, not a great one to be in. Yeah. It's also interesting. I mean, it's probably done for the... It seems like that person that is killed here early, when we first meet this group, comes across more as the leader. I was thinking that too, yes. And I, you know, it was probably done for effect, but obviously, as we learn later, Janice was always the leader and also the only one with something close to a human name. I couldn't tell if Janice was necessarily the leader or just the one sent to go get Rick. Either way... Well, she's Rick's granddaughter. Yeah. So by default, she's kind of the leader. At least it feels that way. I mean, certainly once we get rid of uh, Decord or whatever her name was that was the yep. presumptive leader before getting, you know, blown away. And certainly Janice is a, a key player, whether... I mean, Rick is, is ultimately the leader, just certainly not out in the field. Yeah. And we do see quite a bit of... of Janice, I think, in the first Maestro series uh, that they did in 2020. Part of what I find hilarious about the story, reading it now, is how we're not quite getting the story told backwards, but kind of? Because what we get here was the first thing with the Maestro, this future, etc., from 1992. <clears throat> but if you treat Maestro, Maestro War and Pax, and Maestro World War M, which is currently in progress, as kind of a 15-issue run. I mean, granted, they serialized it as three five-issue miniseries. That's the beginning of the story. Well, and isn't there a Secret Wars Future Imperfect from whenever that was? There is, but that, to me, is potentially a different maestro than this. Okay. I would say for this maestro, we've got this story, we've got, well, depending how you want to look at it, in published order, whatever, anyways... We've got Maestro, Maestro War and Pax, Maestro World War M. There was two issues of The Exiles. Peter David did not write those, but this Maestro shows up there. And then a four-issue arc that I think in the last half of, of Captain Marvel, and this is the Genis Vell version, not the Carol Danvers version or the original Mar-Vell version. It was Mar-Vell's son, Genis. But Maestro shows up there, too. So, as I understand Dan, the timeline, or at least how I've pieced it together, it'd go the, the three Maestro series that are coming out now, Exiles, Captain Marvel, and Hulk Future Imperfect. And Hulk Future Imperfect was the first published, then the Captain Marvel, then the Exiles, and then the Maestro stuff. And then I think Maestro actually shows up later in the Hulk, 460, 461, given how he's kind of dealt with here, makes a little bit of a comeback there. Okay. But I don't know if we ever saw in the Hulk series, and, and you've been doing the book club a while back, and they did, at least I think the Joe Fixit era of the Hulk. I don't know how far yes. past that you went. This seems to time out around Hulk 400. Do that, we, seem, that seems about right, yeah. Do we ever see in that era of the Hulk him kind of getting pulled forward, doing this adventure, and coming back, even if it's just an off-camera kind of mention of it sort of thing? In other words, do we ever ground this story in the timeline of the Incredible Hulk series? I don't think so. And that's why I'm really quickly... I, I don't remember... It's weird. There's some time travel in that series, but I don't remember... As a matter of fact, Incredible Hulk 400 comes out the week before this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's exactly that time. <laughs> well, there's the, the line Rick Jones has in that flashback sequence of... Got in a fight with his girl, aliens tried to kill him, the Avengers think he's a traitor, etc., giving some some mile marker-ish sort of a things to kind of 
figure out when this scene at his apartment might have taken place. Yeah. I just think it would have been fun if if we'd kind of seen, you know, Hulk heading off or whatever and, and gotten a, oh, go check out this miniseries kind of a footnote. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember that. Because I took it at the time as this was in continuity. Just again, they hadn't locked down, or at least I don't remember them locking down, where it fit in for the then current day Hulk. So, according to the Marvel database, the Maestro does appear in a flashback in Hulk 401, which okay. would have which would have been right after this, I think, or right around the time. Yeah, um, Delphi has a vision where she kind of predicts the coming of the Maestro. Okay, and that's right in the middle of this miniseries, so. So they at least referenced it there, whether yeah. we got, you know, Bruce actually going with them into the future or not. Yeah, so. yeah, that's the whole Pantheon era, so yeah. Yeah. I was surprised that they went basically an entire issue with the, the face-off being inevitable, and all we get at the end of this is literally the face-off. Yeah, it's, in some ways, the story's really, I think, well told in many ways. There's a clear three-act structure. Uh, since you're doing it over two issues, you got to kind of figure out where to, you know, the first one's basically the first act and the second one's act two and three. Mm-hmm. It's done pretty well, and that's as good a place to end this as any. Well, it's a great place to end it. And the fact that they had a very good, long first issue with the two never having met, even though we know they're going to end up fighting each other. And that was the whole point they brought yeah, the right. forward. So... There are yes. a lot of, of other creators where it would have been, okay, come on, we know you're doing this, get there already. Well, if this was done today, that last page would have been the first page, and then you would have gotten the two days earlier. Yeah, probably. It's the only story they know how to write these days. <laughs> yeah, I that sort of a writing crutch always drives me nuts, too. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of funny, though, how the maestro has this army of, of foot soldiers or whatnot, he he's the Hulk. He really doesn't need any of them. I get he doesn't want to have to do everything himself, but when they get into the rebel base and he's like, go forward and, and find these guys for me and such, and then these guys just start getting wasted left, right, and center, you know, with like the, uh, what was it, the acid from the, the fire sprinklers sort of a thing? Yeah, the acid from the fire sprinklers, the gas that's coming out of the floor that seems to be acidic as well. The lasers or whatever that are frying yeah. everybody and such. I mean, now, granted, if, if I were a rebel in that kind of a place and, and I expected an angry Hulk was going to come visiting at some point, I'd have strong defenses, too. Well, yeah, but it's also like the leaders. He just wanted to find the Hulk. The, the rest of it was kind of the, the foot soldiers are taking care of the other, you know. Like in the first Star Wars, when Vader walks into that ship, mm-hmm. he goes right for Leia and you guys take care of everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just seemed like there was a much higher casualty rate than uh, was needed if Maestro had just dealt with this stuff himself. Yeah, well. But a shorter story, too. <laughs> yes. And I think at one point, he's like, you should have told me about all this sooner. I could have dealt with it. Yes, he, he makes a reference to his minister, that, but he also makes reference that he knew about Rick Jones and kind of chose to let him live. Chose to let him live, but I think it was around the time they'd gotten the time platform or something. Okay. There was somewhere in there, and I forget where it was, where if if he had the opportunity to deal with it sooner, but his underlings kept it from him or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah, he seems to know Rick was around. He didn't seem to know the rebels had as extensive a civilization and force as they did. 
And that's just, I could have taken care of that part. You know, yes, I, I was going to leave Rick alone. I didn't want a whole army swarming under me. Right, right. Did they ever really explain how Rick got this underground kind of kingdom or whatnot? Because it's pretty well built out. Well, there is the reference that they made some of it. They found some of it. Again, it's kind of implied Rick was left. Rick somehow survived mm-hmm. and was and and the Hulk basically said, "Okay, do your thing, whatever. You, you're, you know, I'm not going to mess with you." Um, yeah. How that turns into this whole rebellion, who knows? Having just reread this, I almost need to go back and reread Maestro and Maestro Warren Pax. Mm. Because Maestro really goes into how the Hulk got into power. But that came out, you know, 2020, and it's been long enough now that a little blur on some of the details. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, because isn't the Maestro's death in Hulk somewhere in the late 90s? Well, we get it. It depends how you count. We get it at the end of this issue. That is true. Arguably, we get it at the beginning of the Incredible Hulk run with the origin. And we get it again when he kind of... Well, he comes back in Hulk 460, 461, I think. And there are other times we see other maestros. Again, the Battle World stuff you mentioned. There was also a... Was it another contest of champions? What was I it? I want to say he was... Well, because... Ross comes back in Hulk 400, mm-hmm. and then somewhere a few years later, you find out the Maestro's involved in that, and then I want to say it was just after Onslaught? Wasn't Onslaught around this time? No, was I guess it? Onslaught was a few years later, because yeah. this is within the first year or so of Image having been formed. Image had been around a few years, so it would have been 94, 95, maybe 96, because around that's the when time they were of split. Onslaught. Yeah. They were split in Onslaught, and they get merged again, what, that's Heroes Reborn? Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, it's, I just, I feel like the Maestro showed up a few times other than just in the miniseries where we've been discussing. Well, or, yeah, the, yeah, but I think some of them were very much not necessarily this Maestro. Yeah, well, yeah, but I, the one I'm thinking of, I very specifically dealt with the end of this series and said, well, he kind of came back together. Well, he was in a contest of champions where he'd been, like, plucked out of time. Yeah. Okay. And then the question is, which version was that? Yeah, it's true, too. And then there was one or two, because I think he also showed up in Old Man Logan, the ongoing series, not the miniseries, uh, which also has a wasteland. This has a wasteland. They're not the same wasteland, so that's not confusing. <laughs> and it seemed like a maestro went from a world to that world. They kind of try to take over there. But it couldn't really be this one, because we see this one's ultimate end, and over in that Old Man Logan, we see his ultimate end. Yeah. I just, I, I and again, I could be nuts. I seem to remember, like I said, I don't think I was reading here, but I, I seem to remember a few years later, there's a Hulk, and I think Ross and Hulk end up back at, you know, Ground Zero, as they do every few years. Mm-hmm. And I seem to think... There's this maestro there. I think that's the Hulk 460, 461 I was talking about. Okay, yeah, okay. Because the basic gist of that, as I recall, is... Well, and first off, sending any Hulk back to the same gamma bomb blast that that birthed the Hulk... (laughs) Yes. ...as a way to get rid of him seems a little risky. Yes. Uh, You you could just as easily have wound up with a super-powered, even more overpowered Hulk. But the, the gist of it was... 
that he did get destroyed there, but every time the Hulk was revisiting, somehow his the, the Maestro's essence was like leaching a little radiation or something to kind of bring him back somehow. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was something like that. Yeah. And then I think he dies again at the end of that. Pretty sure. Pretty yeah. sure. <laughs> at least as much as any comic character can ever truly die. Very true. So, and again, this this character's backstory is a little convoluted because again, it was it it was hinted at here, and then it was revealed and and written actually, you know, well, in the Maestro series, nearly thirty years later. Yeah. So, which is again just kind of mind blowing in and of itself. And as much as part one was set up, establishing things, and getting us to care about the characters and the status quo, a lot of the second issue was the fight. You know, in in uh, typical fashion, you've got to have the the hero lose, recover, and then fight again and win. Uh, and we saw that recovery and all of that stuff here, and got some great character moments in all of that. Absolutely. So, you know, when we open on the kind of the title page of the second issue with the Hulk clearly having been decked and just flying, uh, not something you typically see with the Hulk on the receiving end of. So, again, just some some great visuals with. George, some great character moments, like when the maestro threatens to, to, you know, rend somebody limb from limb, and the Hulk's like, yeah, do it, you know, and just starts playing mind games with, with the maestro. Well, and that goes back and forth, uh, you know, with the maestro knowing that kind of a broken neck's the slowest injury to heal, mm-hmm. and, and finding a way to kind of, you know, take the Hulk out of commission, at least for a time being. And, you know, when he basically says, you've got enough strength to pull the trigger, go ahead, you know, blow yeah. your own brains out. And there's a back and forth there, too. Well, because the question would be, if the younger Hulk kills himself, would that mean the maestro never happens? Yep. Yet, the the rationale they go with here is classic Marvel. Whenever you go back in time, you're essentially branching a new timeline out. Yep, absolutely. And they both have their theories there, and he's like, fine, you got the guts to try it, go for it. I mean, based on... I don't know whether it would stand true today, but classic Marvel reading back in the day, there was an easy way to tell if you had traveled back into your own history, if you were in an alternate timeline or not. And that was basically, can you touch something? Mm. If you can, you're in an alternate timeline. Otherwise, you're in like a ghostly state or whatever. And that didn't happen too often. Normally, you'd be physically back there because like the thing tried to cure himself early on. And I think it was issue 50 of Marvel 2-in-1, and they revisit that in issue 100, which I thought was cool. And the fact that he could go and do that to his younger self, Reed explained afterwards, it's like, yeah, that was never going to work. Yeah. You cured a Ben Grimm, but not the you Ben Grimm, you know? So in this case, the the banner that had the broken neck and, you know, could kill himself, it wasn't going to hurt the maestro at all. Yeah. Well, and that was the maestro's It's like, you don't think that's the way it works? Go ahead, try well, and, and the Hulk not only doesn't do it, but he later backs it up with, I think, some reference to a paper that uh, Reed Richards had done or something. He, he does, yeah. So, but again, some fun character moments we get. I think the beauty of having the Hulk lost, losing that first fight and then having to heal is we get a ton of back and forth between the Hulk and the Maestro that would have been really hard to pull off any other way. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And I love reference to one of my all-time favorite works of fiction, and yeah, I became the Count of Monte Cristo. I didn't need a spoon. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of the other things that the the maestro mentions, and I forget exactly where it was, but he was basically 
telling the Hulk, you know, I've got more experience, I've done this, I've done this, you haven't. And there was a mention of, like, the wild man or something like that. Oh, wait, that's in your future. Mm. And we've had 30 years of Hulk story since then, and I don't know that we've seen him yet. I don't read anymore, but or don't read New Hulk anymore, so I am not familiar with that character ever coming. I stopped, I want to say about three, four years ago, about ten issues into the uh, Immortal Hulk run. It just, it, it wasn't what I wanted to be reading. You know, I think that, interestingly enough, I think I read the first 50 of that series, and I enjoyed it, but it was... That one only went for 50. It recently concluded. Okay, so yeah, then I did finish it. I enjoyed that story. Got, a lot of, enough people suggested it that I mm-hmm. uh, I eventually read it. And I enjoyed it, but yeah, it, it had more of a horror vibe. It was more like that first six-issue Hulk mini. Yeah. Well, and it's a legit take on the character, but the funny thing... With comic book characters in particular, this one uh, certainly epitomizes it. There have been so many different takes over the years. Oh, yeah. And uh, I've got to say, the majority of them, it sure feels like came out of Peter David. You know, the Professor Hulk, Joe Fixit, mm-hmm. you know, half a dozen others, because Peter David came out of the sales office at, at Marvel. Well, I got- think most of Rick Jones comes from Peter David, too, doesn't he? Uh, mm, I wouldn't say so, because... Rick Jones originated with the the Hulk origin. He was Cap's sidekick for a while. He was Captain Marvel's sidekick for a while. And a lot of that, I think, was well before uh, Peter David uh, started writing. Now, granted, he's done a lot with the character since. No argument there. But you look at how much Peter David has done. I mean, his run on the Hulk went for, man, I want to say about 10 years, give or take. Yeah, it was was close to that, yeah. And again, he came out of the sales office at Marvel. That was his day job. And for a while, he was doing this to kind of moonlighting or whatever. And even after that, he was always able to to, to talk to his, his friends in the sales office of, okay, how is the book doing? Oh, it's starting to take a downturn. Hmm, maybe I ought to shake things up. Yeah. Shake things up. People get interested. It goes for a while. You know, he yeah. was very much a data-driven writer in some respects. Interestingly, this is about 100 years in the future at the time. Mm-hmm. The Maestro has nothing to do with John Einhardt, right? The Hulk of 2099. Not that I'm aware of, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they don't. Well, again, different timeline. You're right. Same time, different timeline. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, because it's got nothing to do with any of the 2099 stuff. Yeah. And I'm trying to think when that was created. That's not remember. that far afterwards. I mean, that's early, mid-90s, too. I mean, it's, it's around this same period. Yeah. Well, and later when they do the Old Man Logan stuff and we get another Wasteland and all of that stuff, I mean, there's some stuff that looks kind of similar in terms of post-apocalyptic or whatnot, but the backstory is rather different. Yeah. You know, the villains having taken out the heroes there versus, you know, the humans basically nuking everybody. So, I mean, this is a a really enjoyable read, and it, I think, works great as a two-issue story. Uh, if you want more, there's more to be had with the more recent stuff that Peter David's been doing, uh, as well as a couple of other key appearances here and there. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is great stuff. And, and it, it, you know, and again, with Mr. Perez on art, the art's impeccable, as mm-hmm. you would expect. Agreed. And kind of, you know, classic comic book art. This is clearly kind of the older style comic book art before more modern coloring and stuff. Yeah. I think this was... This was 92, so I'm trying to think where computer coloring would have been at. It still would have been cutting edge at the time, and and Marvel would not have certainly done it for this. I think Malibu's coloring department would have been 
probably formed at that point. Yeah. And doing some stuff there. Well, having just done the Avengers JLA, which mm-hmm. is just short, well, which is, oh, that's 10 years after this, isn't it? 10 um, years after this, yeah. This has much more of a classic line style than that does. Mm-hmm. And a much, much more classic coloring than that does. Yes. No, I would agree with that. Now, we did get a couple of questions from uh, Jason Z on this. His first one is, he wanted to say that as a reader of the then-current Incredible Hulk uh, by Peter David with Professor Hulk, it was difficult to imagine Maestro as a potential alternate ending for that character. He wants us to discuss if it seemed like a logical path for the character from, from our perspective. What are your thoughts on that? A hundred years and several world wars is a long time and a lot of things to see, and you never know how those will react. That being said, I think the Hulk we see in this is very much the more controlled. It is that Hulk. Mm-hmm. The, the Hulk that gets brought to the future is that Hulk. Absolutely. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, how the mental stress of things is going to affect people in the future is near impossible to predict. <laughs> well, and just, again, 90 years of aging. Yeah, it, we're aging and the events and circumstances that surround them. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't go, oh, yeah, it's obviously, yes, but 100 years, people are going to change. And I think they try to address that, particularly in the first half of the second issue of this, mm-hmm. with Maestro kind to give his perspective on what he saw and, you know, the, the no, you will end up alone. You know, and they talk about, like, so something's changed. And he's like, yeah, but what, what does he say? Oh, there's a great line where he says... I don't know. What do you give your opinion? I'll find the lineup. Well, yeah. I mean, for me, uh, having read the Hulk for for since really, I guess the Crossroads era around issue three hundred forward off the rack, the character's gone through radical change after radical change after radical change. Mm-hmm. And for many of them, not all of them, going from one iteration of the Hulk to another, it's like okay, that makes sense the way they told the story and you know how he got his brains back, how he kind of went you know, all rage monster again and all that stuff. Now, if you start skipping over an iteration or two or, or more, how did they get from Joe Fixit to, to here or from there to, to wherever? Then see, things start seeming a lot more random. Yeah. So, so to your point of trying to take the then Professor Hulk and say, okay, given how many iterations that Hulk had been through just in the past five, ten years of his lifetime, imagine that many more iterations or whatnot potentially going forward either at that pace or just that number spread out over 90 years, it's anyone's guess as to what he could could have come out to be. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that page I was thinking about is kind of the, the end of the banquet when he's kind of like, well, at least think about it. Think about staying with me. And, and the Meister, persecution, betrayal, hatred. These things do not change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the Hulk's always had a rocky history with just about everybody else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, in the Crossroads stuff, the heroes had gotten together and banished him off Earth. Yeah. I think it was Doctor Strange kicked him into a limbo realm or whatever. Not to be confused with the time the heroes got together and shot him into space. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that, that happened again another 20 years later. Yeah. So, the Hulk being mad, do you blame him? Yeah, I- exactly. And there is even that great line, oh yeah, I forgot. You know, again, pointing out that this is definitely that era's Hulk. Mm-hmm. There is that great line where, you, oh yeah, I forgot, this guy gets stronger when he gets more mad, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of showing both the difference between the then-current Hulk and this character, as well as 
the Hulk acknowledging the changes from his earlier days, even. Yeah. Well, but at the beginning of this, when the, the Maestro is going to rip the lady in half or whatever, and the the Hulk is just kind of pushing back, of, well, you're just going to show, you know, essentially what a weak position you're in if you do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and just needling him and not quite goading him into doing it, but definitely playing some mind games there. Oh, definitely, yeah. there was some similarity between the two characters in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I I can see this having been a logical extension of, of the Hulk. I also think you could have gone in a half a dozen radically different directions that could have seemed just as logical. Yeah, and, and I mean, again... 90, 100, whatever years it is, and whatever events and wars and personal heartbreak and betrayal could have happened, mm-hmm. everyone's going to react different to those things, and potentially different if they're just in a different mood when those things happen and how yeah. it molds the future. I mean, it could have just as easily been he had gone essentially feral, yep. or he had gone almost pure intellect in like the, the leader sort of direction. Yeah kind of thing. So, this was as good a take as any. Yeah. Jason further went on. He remembered this being a prestige format, which is rare at the time. Cover price of $5.95 compared to the $1.25 for the regular monthly Incredible Hulk series. Cost was pretty steep. He was in middle school, uh, i.e. before having a job at the time, and asking his dad to buy it, and dad kind of pushed back of, that's too expensive for a comic book. You could go buy five others for the price of that one. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this was expensive. Yeah. You know, but prestige format was kind of for the, the special projects or whatnot. They definitely kind of uh, promoted it decently, as I recall. And, you know, I was willing to shell out the, the 595 for it. Not going to say I was overjoyed by that, but certainly felt I got my money's worth. I'm trying to remember how many prestige books. At this time, I think the Dark Knights were the only prestige ones I had in my collection at the time. I'm trying to think what other things had been published across the different publishers. I think Longbow Hunter, I want to say 1990. I should know this. I just reread it recently. <laughs> yep. Ronin, I think, was also... Was that prestige? There were a handful of others, but they were few and far between. Yeah, there weren't very many of them. Like I said, I mean, the ones I remember were Dark Knight, we all remember, and... I think the next one in my personal collection was Judgment on Gotham, which is more like 96, 97, which is a yeah. Batman Judge Dread crossover. And there were a couple of things of that sort. Yeah. And they may have done a couple of like movie adaptations or something for the Batman movies or something. You're right. I think I do have the prestige edition of the 1989 Batman movie uh, adaptation. To, to put this in context, prestige format, square binding, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is... Part of what I hate about them, I like my comics to be able to lay flat, prestige can't, whatever. But that was as close as comics came to a trade paperback back then. Absolutely. Oh, The Killing Joke. How'd we forget that? The Killing Joke. Oh, yeah. That, that yeah. That and Dark Knight are like the, the two definitive ones of the time. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. I don't know how we forgot that one. Because now we all have the nice big fancy hardcover with other stuff in it and never look at the prestige version of our Killing Joke anymore. Yeah. Well, but again, that that's the key difference between then and now, is yeah. if you wanted to tell a roughly 100-page story and such, you didn't have a trade paperback format to do an original graphic novel in. It just didn't exist. I mean, at this point, you had the Marvel trade paperbacks that had been done in the 70s, 
Origins, Son of Origins, Bring on the Bad Guys, those sorts of things. You had the Judas Contract, the Great Darkness Saga, Judas Contract for Titans, Great Darkness Saga for uh, Legion of Superheroes. But those were both collected editions. Those had been comics originally. Well, that's my point. Yeah. Even then, those were the only trade paperbacks you had and I of any sort. Getting a Dark Phoenix Saga that had the four, four issues-ish in it pretty around the same time. Around this time, they were more likely to do almost 64-page Saddle Stitch or Staple Bound kind of yep. comics yep. for that sort of a thing. Because DC was doing some reprints that way for the Heart Traveling Heroes stuff, for Dead Man, a few other things. But to get something with a square binding and to do a longer form original story like this did not happen often. And, and then we're not that far from the Marvel graphic novels at this point, are we? That's I think they were already later. around. Okay. I think those go back into the 80s because the death of Captain Marvel was one of them and the New Mutants started with one of them. Yeah, I was going to say the New Mutants is the one I'm thinking of. And I'm like, it's around this time. So actually, those would be the other square bound things that predate this. Yeah. But they were a different size. They were more magazine size than uh, comic size. And then the last comment or question from Jason is in relation to the three recent Maestro miniseries by Peter David. Do we think it matches up well with the original Future Imperfect? What's your take on that? I have not read them. I see them here in Marvel Unlimited. I may need to check them out. I have read them. I had not reread this prior to doing that, and they are prequels to this. So... I think it matches up to what my recollection of the character had been. That having been said, having just reread this, I think the maestro was a bit crueler and meaner here than uh, he kind of feels in my recollection from the, the recent maestro stuff. But it's Peter David. It's good. All of it, you know? Yeah. So if if you liked this, you should read those. If you like those, you should read this. Yeah, Again. no, this, this was fun, and it's one of those things I've kind of always known about, but I, I don't think I got it. It might have been the price, because I was reading Hulk at the time. I could totally understand it being for the price. I mean, again, five ninety five compared to a buck twenty five. Yeah, and again, I wasn't... And there were still 95 cent issues around at that time, as I remember, too. Not too many, but a few. Yeah. That would have been like the uh, Untold Tales of Spider-Man, or yeah. a few things like that. And again, I wasn't quite as young as Jason, but... I was a, would have been a junior in high, or a senior in high school. You know, I had a part-time job and stuff, but yeah, $6 was a lot for a comic book. I was in the workforce by that point, so that made uh, buying comics a little easier. Finding the time to read them, not so much, but uh, <laughs> I managed. So yeah, I thought this was good stuff. One of the things I did, because I was kind of curious, again, this was published right around the time of Incredible Hulk number 400. I was curious how the Hulk title was doing. But going back to the early 90s to get sales information is kind of tough. I did find the statement of ownership that was published in Hulk 391 and 405. And it was doing in the ballpark of somewhere between 200 and 300,000 sales on average, uh, depending how you look. The, the paid sales average, line 10B of the statement of ownership, the 1991 thing of, from Hulk. 391, 203,167 average sales, with the nearest issue to filing date being 281,600. And then a year later from Hulk 405, the same numbers being 294,042 average sales, with the nearest to filing being 244,400. 
Now roll that forward to when I would have sales data for a decade or two later. Those are good sales. Yeah. Those are amazing sales. Those are top of the chart sales. I dug up the numbers for Amazing Spider-Man and Avengers, and it was outselling Avengers pretty handily for the most part, at least based on the limited data points I could see. There might have been an individual issue or two that were different. And it was selling, I'm going to say, about two-thirds what Spider-Man was selling. Okay. So it was it was doing all right for the time, but I think part of what gave Peter David the, the tenure on the title was, for the long time, it was selling fine, but not, oh my god, amazing. So they left him alone. Yeah. Let him tell the stories he wanted to tell and, and keep it going. But it was selling well enough to justify doing something like this. And I think it was in the letters page of Maestro World War M number one, where he reveals how he got George Perez as the artist on this. And it basically, basically it came down to, they were looking for an artist. He had bumped into George just out and about. They got to talking, oh, we should work together sometime. And he's like, well, would you be interested in doing this? George said, well, yeah. And Peter, next time he talked to his editor, which I think was Bobby Chase at the time, he's like, I've got us an artist and got, pretty much told, that's not your job, you write the thing, I get the artist, sort of a deal. Okay, who'd you get? Oh, George Perez. Yeah, we'll take him. And that's not exactly how it went, but that was the gist of it. Yeah. I mean, who would turn down having George Perez on on a book? The other thing, if you like this creative team, they did another miniseries from, I want to say Image, but I'm not positive, Saxon Violence, which is a bit more risque, but just some solid stuff so well worth checking out also anything else on this no i just will quickly mention since i had the time i did quickly look up hulk 461 yeah maestro barely appears there's a moment with delphi in the pool like talking about ripples of time she looks in the pool and basically sees the maestro's face and says evil is as evil does and evil that will be and so yeah that is the extent of the maestro in the current books at the time. I think he played a little bit more of a part in the previous issue, 460, where he was almost reconstituting from the gamma radiation somehow. Yo, 460. No, I'm talking 400 and 401. Oh, 400 401. Got it, got it. Yeah, the issues that were coming out, the exact, you just a week off. So right around these. So yeah, they teased it that it's out there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And again, 60 issues later, which would be, what, five years later? Yeah. They revisit. You know, is the is the maestro truly dead or not? Yep. Fun stuff. Is there anything else? Nope, that's it. Cool. Recording clips for the preview spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview spotlight. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.